It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Friday edition of PFT PM. I usually don't do it on Friday, but I promised one on Thursday or Friday, and I ended up not doing it Thursday. So if I'm going to keep my promise, and I try to keep my promises most of the time, if I'm going to keep my promise, I got to do it today. Bad news dump. And this is one that we should have realized was coming. Chad Kelly suspended the first two games of the 2019 season. He had that incident that precipitated the Broncos' decision to cut him. Whatever that bizarre thing was that happened at the Von Miller Halloween party, dressed up like Woody from Toy Story, ended up going into someone's house and sitting down on the couch next to a woman whose husband eventually chased Chad Kelly off with a metal tube for a vacuum cleaner. Two games to miss the start of the season. It makes me wonder how many games Richie Incognito will be suspended. He's got two incidents now that we know about from August of 2018 that did not result, obviously, in any sanction because he was unattached to the league at the time. But even if you're not on a team you're still responsible and that suspension is undoubtedly coming for Richie Incognito and it may be next Friday that we're talking about how many games Incognito will miss. That one's going to be an interesting test for the league because he's never been suspended by the NFL. All the things that have gone on with Richie Incognito over the years, never suspended once, but plenty of misbehavior And I still don't know how he escaped league scrutiny for the incident at the golf tournament when he was with the Dolphins. When the Bullygate thing happened, the Dolphins were the ones who suspended him, and you can't have both the league and the team suspend a guy for the same thing, so he escaped that one as well. But this time around, not escaping it. This time around... There's going to be a suspension for Richie Incognito and Chad Kelly, assuming he makes the final roster in Indianapolis, will miss the first two games of the regular season, and we'll see how many games Richie Incognito ends up missing. I still am troubled by Oakland's decision to sign him, and I still think the NFL needs some sort of formula that will enhance the penalty, that will create a penalty if a team rolls the dice on a guy who has this history of misconduct and he gets in trouble again. The Raiders look at it as, oh, no big deal. It's a low-risk proposition. If he does something crazy, then we just cut him. There should be a greater disincentive than that. Otherwise, you reduce that question of giving a second chance to someone who doesn't deserve a second chance to the question of, How small of a contract can you negotiate? Not, is it the right thing to do? And it baffles me because it's not like Richie Incognito is a great player at this point. He's going to be 36 next month. So that's still lingering. That was one of the big stories of the week. And Raiders fans not happy about the criticism. Now, if it was the Chiefs, the Chargers, or the Broncos that had signed Richie Incognito, they'd be at the front of the line saying, punish those teams, or why would those teams sign Richie Incognito? And this gets back to the point that I was making earlier this week about the tribal nature of football fans. 
we align ourselves blindly with the teams we like, and we get mad at anybody who points out anything, whether it's true or not, that makes our team not look as good as we want our team to look, even if we know in our hearts that these are real issues. Case in point, the reaction to the news that we shared last night that Derek Carr has blocked the PFT Twitter account. Everyone who has responded in a negative way toward PFT, not everyone, but 95% plus, you can tell from their Twitter handle, are Raiders fans. Because they've got no choice but to rally around the Raiders, even though they know in their hearts that there's a chance that Derek Carr isn't the answer and there's a chance the Raiders aren't going to be good this year. They don't want anyone pointing that out, but they know deep down that there's a chance both of those things are true. And how dare anyone who isn't a Raiders fan breathe a word of that. They probably would turn on any Raiders fan that would say it. They, they want to be blissful in their ignorance. They want to get caught up in the hope that this could be the year. One playoff berth since 2002, but this could be the year. This could be the year. It all could fall together. We can overcome the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Broncos. Maybe Antonio Brown will be the difference. Maybe Vontez Burfecht will be the difference. Maybe Richie Incognito will be the difference. Let us enjoy that, please. Please allow us the peace and quiet of our delusion. Don't remind us. Don't wake us up from our fever dream about the Raiders pursuing and claiming their fourth Lombardi trophy in the 100th season of the National Football League. Please do not mess with our happiness. Joe Douglas is the favorite for the Jets GM job. There's a shock. And here's the bottom line. They're going to hire somebody that Adam Gase wants, and that's what they should do at this point. If they go out and hire the quote-unquote best person for the job, there's a chance they're going to hire somebody who doesn't want Gase. Douglas would want Gase, so that's how it works out. And Douglas was the first name. First name that came up. It's not going to surprise me if he ends up with the job. Is that really the guy that Christopher Johnson's looking for when he says great strategic thinker and not necessarily Italian evaluator? I, I don't know but it's the best person to fit within the parameter that this is somebody who needs to come to town and be ready to embrace Adam Gase and work with Adam Gase. And either it works and they both remain gainfully employed for years to come in that position, or it doesn't work and they end up, uh, you know, they end up with a problem. So we'll see how that plays out. I have to multitask here while I continue to work my way through this because apparently I'm having trouble getting the the uh, the video for today's PFT Live draft to pop up on my browser. I'm just I, I want to make sure that uh, we got the right code in there. We put the video codes in, and usually it comes up 
you know, we, we see it pretty seamlessly and the, the video box pops up, but I'm not seeing the video box pop up in my browser. So while I babble on and on, I've copied the pay, uh, the code, I've pasted the code, I've updated it, and I think it should be good now. It was a fun draft. It's been a fun week of drafts. We've had some good ideas this week. The whole draft concept. It's a framework to have an interesting discussion, maybe turn over some stones on some angles that haven't been mentioned all that much. But today's draft was if the NFL had a seven-game championship series, losers of the Super Bowl that would have gone on to win that that seven-game series. And I think there's some good options, and there's a lot of options beyond the ones that we picked. We had the most iconic images in NFL history this week, although Sims screwed it up by going with video images, not still frames. The whole idea was still frames because it was it was something that was based on the starting point of Bobby Orr's Superman dive back in the 1970 Stanley Cup final. NFL players best known for one thing. That was a, a something that was sparked by the passing of Bill Buckner. And then current players other than Tom Brady, who could be the best ever at their position. That was something motivated by comments from Khalil Mack that he believes, or he doesn't believe, he wants to be the best ever, acknowledging that, you know, Lawrence Taylor and other all-time greats are going to be very hard to overcome. Anyway, back to Derek Carr. I, I, look, one of the common reactions, well, you block people too. Well, I've blocked people who have been over the top in their criticism and I block people less than I used to. There was a time where I would launch the Michael Silver style block party and like, you know what? I just don't like you blocked. I don't like you blocked. I don't like what you said blocked. And I've gone through and I've like unblocked people before. And sometimes I'll get a request. Okay, can you unblock me? And it's like, I don't even remember what it was that got me to block the person. So yeah, I'll admit it. Sometimes uh, I, I, I get offended by something somebody tweets, usually the bar is very high. There have been times where the bar has been low based upon my mood, but that was years ago. The point, though, with Derek Carr, and you can say, well, you block people too, but this is a guy who's supposed to be thick-skinned. This is a guy who walks out into a fray with 70,000 people who don't like him. This is a guy who has to be careful about not getting his home crowd stirred up against him. This is a guy who has to lead men. And it's not like I trolled him it's not like i started posting a lot of tweets that had at Derek car qb saying you stink or anything like that the most controversial thing i said about him is that if he truly thinks he'll be the quarterback of the raiders until he no longer wants to be the quarterback of the raiders he doesn't understand how the nfl works and that's true that's true i mean he's in this delusion that the raiders are all in with him indefinitely that's not how it works and all he has to do is look at what mike mayock the gm of the team said before the draft when he talked about the interest that they showed in kyler murray and dwayne haskins we really like Derek carr but we owe it to the organization to constantly be on the lookout for someone we may like better and if we find someone better we got to take them that's the reality and that is a reality Something I said today on PFT Live. I may have mentioned this before on PFT PM. I've been in several team facilities over the years. And anytime you go into the room where they have a gigantic board, whether they use handwriting, you know, chalk, or dry erase, or 
or magnets. Anytime you're in the room where you've got the roster on one half of the giant board, all the players at every position currently on the roster, and then you've got names of all the players that they have on their ready list at every position, all the quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tackles, guards, centers, every position, 10, 15 deep. At some point, it dawns on you. These really are just interchangeable parts. And they are always ready to pull one out, put one in. Pull one out, put one in. Pull that one out, put this one in. And there's a certain amount of heartlessness, a desensitization that comes into play when you embrace the fact that this is how it goes. And the people who manage a football team, whoever they are, however that changes, and it tends to change far less regularly than the roster itself, the people who manage the team have to have that, that callus on their soul where they can make the cold, hard decision to get rid of this guy and replace him with that guy. And then get rid of this guy and replace him with that guy. And we'll get rid of this guy and replace him with that guy. And at some point, the Raiders are going to get rid of their quarterback and replace him with somebody else. And I think that Derek Carr has this year to prove that he can get it done with Antonio Brown. And if he fails, they very well may go out and find a quarterback who can. If they don't, if they keep Derek Carr, good for him and good for the Raiders. But it's on him to prove that they should keep him. They're not going to keep him just because he wants the job. That's why it's so unrealistic for him to say, I'm going to be the quarterback here as long as they want me to be there. That's just not realistic. And anybody that pays any attention to the NFL knows that that is not realistic. So if that's what upset Derek Carr, I was going to say, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry for anything I've said about Derek Carr. And I haven't said anything about him that he should justifiably be upset. But he is. And apparently his brother David is because he blocked me. And Darren Carr, there's another car. I noticed a long time ago that he had blocked me. I just, I don't get the thin-skinnedness. When, number one, you're making $25 million a year. Number two, you better be able to have thick skin because you're dealing with a lot of hostile people all the time who are letting you have it in person, not necessarily face-to-face. They're not down on the field yelling at them, although sometimes when you're going off through the tunnel, you're hearing it loudly from the opposing fans. You got to be able to take it. And this goes back to the first thing I heard when John Gruden's name emerged as a viable candidate to become the new coach of the Raiders in early 2018, late 2017, whenever that first popped up, Derek Carr's not going to be able to take John Gruden. And it's quite possible that John Gruden's had to dramatically change his style to keep Derek Carr from freaking out. And ultimately, I think that people have had to lie to him. If it's true, 
that he's on the same page with the owner, the GM, and the coach, and they've all basically told him, you're the quarterback as long as you want to be. You're our guy until you retire. They're lying to him. They're not giving the guy a lifetime job. Nobody's got a lifetime job. Tom Brady doesn't have a lifetime job. And Tom Brady has used that year-to-year fear of Bill Belichick recognizing this is the year we need to go with someone else. He's used that as his fuel. He doesn't run from that. He embraces it. He motivates himself with it. Derek Carr's just wired a different way. And that's fine. Not everybody can be wired the right way. I don't think Derek Carr's wired the, wired the right way. Wired the right way. Try saying that three times fast. I don't think Derek Carr is wired the right way. That's my opinion. That's nothing that you should block me for on Twitter. That's my opinion. And blocking me on Twitter only reinforces my opinion. It's that simple. We've had some fun with the Chris Sims top 40 listed quarterback this week. We've made it up to number 33. We've got eight of them. 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40. That's eight of them. Four days, two days each. Eli Manning, one spot behind Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill is 33, and Eli Manning is 34. And I don't sense a whole lot of disagreement with that. I think Ryan Tannehill's got a lot of potential if he can play, i.e. if he can stay healthy enough to play. And he's younger. Eli Manning, I just... I, I... you know, I feel like the ship has sailed. And maybe he'll prove everyone wrong this year. And and frankly, if he does, I don't know that that's good for the Giants. What if they go to the playoffs this year? Could the Giants next year dump Eli Manning and go with Daniel Jones the way that the Chiefs did? They went to the playoffs with Alex Smith. They dumped Alex Smith and instead went with Patrick Mahomes. Will they be able to do that if it comes down to it? And I still think, and, and, and there's some stuff floating around out there that I, I just don't be surprised if as we get into training camp, it starts to look like the Giants think they were right about Daniel Jones. And if they're right about Daniel Jones, it could be that Daniel Jones ends up being the better option at quarterback, and I don't rule out at all the possibility of Jones being the week one starter. And the Giants have no reason to say that now, and the Giants are the same team that told us they didn't sign Odo Beckham Jr. to a long-term contract to trade him, and then they traded him. So I don't believe any of it, and I think anything's possible, and I think Jones starting week one is possible. Unofficial start of the summer came with Memorial Day weekend. That means there'll be a lot of people driving on the roads to vacations, the beach, wherever. Everybody's having a good time. That's fine. Have a good time with your seatbelt on. No matter how short of the distance, no matter how much fun you're having, that fun can be turned on its head in the blink of an eye if you have an automobile accident and you're not wearing a seatbelt. You can make all the excuses you want. There's no good excuse for not buckling up. And if you don't buckle up, you're putting yourself at risk for serious injury or death. It's that simple. 2017, more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in car crashes. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, a lot of people feel like they're 
invincible because they're driving around this gigantic truck. You can still get ejected from that truck. It's basic physics. I remember when I learned about this in school. I can't remember what grade it was. But the idea that if the car is going 60 miles an hour, you're going 60 miles an hour too if you're riding in the car. It doesn't feel like you're going 60 miles an hour, but you are. And then if all of a sudden the car is going zero, your body is still going 60. So unless there is something that is physically restraining your body to the seat, when the car goes from 60 to zero, you go flying through the windshield. That's why you wear the seatbelt. And when you get ejected from the car, it's the act of being ejected from the car, your body crashing through the metal frame, ultimately out the front window or a side window, and then banging your head on the ground, banging your head against a rock, your torso violently colliding with a tree. You can come up with other gruesome examples of what happens when your body is out of the car after an accident, flying through the air, landing God knows where. That's why you wear a seatbelt. Even if you're in the back seat, buckle up. It's so tempting when you're in a taxi cab to not buckle up. Or you're, you're jumping into the Uber. You're not going very far. I don't need a seatbelt. This is a professional driver. Put your seatbelt on. Also, and I mention this every time I do this spot, cops are watching for people who aren't wearing seatbelts. So why do you want to get a ticket? Because they'll spot you and they'll ticket you. The ticket's nothing compared to getting killed. That's the main disincentive here. You can pay the ticket. You don't want to pay the ultimate price that comes from whether it's laziness, whether it's stupidity, whether it's obstinance, whatever it is. You don't want to do that. In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. Do the smart thing. Buckle up every trip, day or night. Clicker to ticket paid for by our friends at NHTSA. Okay, let's answer some of your questions. You know, just because I'm doing this doesn't mean it has to be a full hour, right? It ends up being an hour more often than not. It's been about a half hour so far. Let's see what questions we have here. I went with uh, Goodfellas GIF. I like the Goodfellas GIFs. This one is Karen Hill when she is yelling into the intercom system at Janice Rossi's apartment complex. She figured out who Henry's girlfriend is and where she is, and she decided to go on the assault. Very compelling scene. PFTPM Posse, can we now declare the old draft and NFL myth that short quarterbacks can't be successful in the NFL is dead? If it's not, can we officially kill it? I I don't I don't know that I I don't know that it was a myth. It was just a concern. See, scouts look for reasons to not draft players and they want to have they they want to they want to cover their asses. And the problem is if you pick a guy who defies convention and he fails, you're going to hear, well, you shouldn't have taken him because he defies convention. He's too short. You shouldn't have taken him. He stinks. So I'd like to think they're going to get away from that, that fear-based scouting. Well, we can't take him. He's too short. Well, we can't take him. He's too slow. Well, we can't take him. He's too heavy. We can't take him. His hands are too small. What matters is the guy effective. 
So I'd like to think two straight years, quote-unquote short quarterbacks being the first overall pick in the draft, I, I think it died with the Baker Mayfield selection. Now, if Kyler Murray stinks, then you have a problem. But I, I think that we have evolved past that idea that you have to be 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", so you can see over the offensive lineman. Those tall quarterbacks can't see over the offensive lineman anyway. And and then you become too tall. And there is something to be said for being too tall. You got that big lumbering motion. Can't get rid of the ball quickly. Defensive back jumps on it. Bill Parcells was a believer that you get over 6'5", you're too tall. And really, when has there been a tall quarterback who's been any good? PFTP and Posse earlier when talking about the Buccaneers trying to fraudulently get relief under the Deepwater Horizon Compensation Fund, you said the NFL doesn't care about white-collar crime. However, didn't they or aren't they suspending Michael Kendricks for what appears to be an honest mistake or he was misled? And that was white-collar crime. Now, the problem is if someone gets busted, if someone pleads guilty to a felony for white-collar crime, then they have to do something about it. So let me revise what I said earlier this week. The NFL doesn't care about unprosecuted white-collar crime or attempted white-collar crime that results in no type of intervention by the criminal justice system. Anytime someone is convicted of a felony, they are going to face scrutiny under the personal conduct policy. But whether it's Jimmy Haslam, who was never charged with anything arising from the Pilot Flying J scandal, Eli Manning, who was sued for civil fraud, never prosecuted for criminal fraud. Some in the league office apparently think there's a difference. There isn't. Well, there is a difference. The difference is there was no prosecutor that decided to prosecute him. And this meshes with a point that I make all the time. Prosecutor, the most powerful individual in any jurisdiction. More powerful than the judge. The judge can only deal with what is put on his or her desk. Prosecutor decides what gets put on judges' desks, who gets charged, whose life gets turned upside down. You know, even if you fight charges and win an acquittal, your life's been turned upside down. From the day the charge is made, the day the indictment is handed down or handed up or whichever direction the grand jury hands an indictment, you are looking at significant expense if you can afford it. If you can't afford it, you get what you pay for in the form of a public defender. And there are a lot of hardworking public defenders out there, but there's a reason those folks are public defenders. The good lawyers get paid. Sorry, it's true. Block me on Twitter. I don't care. It's true. Your life is turned upside down. You spend every day worrying about whether or not you're going to go to jail. Even if you're acquitted, nothing can replace those months sometimes year or longer, sometimes multiple years, where you were walking around every day, eating your breakfast every day, going to work every day, going to bed every day with that constant nagging ball and chain of concern that at some point you literally will have a ball and chain attached to you. I've been reading a great book about the rise and fall of the American Mafia. I'm not even halfway through the damn thing yet. I'm almost halfway through it. 60 chapters. I love it. It's fascinating. It is amazing how brutal these folks were. I really just got to a point where I want to learn more about that aspect of Italian-American existence and how in the world 
so many of you know the people my countrymen who came over at the turn of the century how they ended up living that life of crime but so many of those guys when you read the stories of the people who became the bosses of the various borgatas in new york city they lived a certain chunk of their adult lives dealing with pending charges and they had the right connections they had the right lawyers the lawyers had the right judges in place and people they could you know work deals out and Roy Cohn was one of the big mob lawyers and you still have to spend day after day month after month sometimes year after year worrying about what's going to happen and ultimately there's a chance you're going to go to prison so how did I even get down this rabbit hole talking about white collar crime Oh, and who gets prosecuted and who doesn't? And Eli Manning didn't get prosecuted. And fraud is fraud. That's the point. Civil fraud, criminal fraud, fraud is fraud. And he got lucky that there was no prosecutor that decided to dig into it. We've mentioned from time to time the possibility that some prosecutor is going to dig into the aftermath of the AAF and say, how did all these people get screwed out of their money? How in the world did the people who ran the AAF create this impression that money was there when it wasn't? There could be indictments there, and it's going to turn your life upside down, and you're going to spend a ton of money, and you're going to wait, and you're going to wait, and you're going to wait until that jury verdict comes in, and either you're guilty or you're not, and you're not going to sleep easily until it's all resolved. PFTPM policy, don't you think players will be against being forced to sit one to two games if they expand the schedule and implement the 16 games played with 18 games in the regular season because any week they don't play is a chance to lose their job, right? Well, you know what? That's a good point. You're going to have players who don't want to sit. They're going to be pissed. They're going to be salty. And there's a chance that when that backup right tackle gets a chance to play, the coach says, you know what? Jim was pretty good. Sorry, Joe. We're going with Jim. Then Jim plays another game. Well, hey, Joe, you got your two games down. You can come back now. But you know what? You're going to be on the bench because we like Joe or Jim, whichever, whichever. And the next thing you know, the veteran Jim ends up getting cut and they go with the young guy, Joe. So I agree with that. But I think the NFL is going to do what it has to do to get to 18 games. There is too much money to be made to not do everything they can to get to 18 games. Tyler Tice, 92. Do you think there will be resentment in the locker room towards OBJ and Le'Veon Bell at the start of training camp? Whether absence create locker room issues that could carry over to the season and impact the success of the teams. One of the things that Sims and I were talking about today, Beckham and Bell have a charisma about them that will prompt teammates to look the other way, to move on, to get over it. When these guys show up too, it's one of the benefits of being so damn good. When you're that damn good and you show up and... You know, the guys who were grousing about you not being there, then all of a sudden you show up and you, you see what they can do. It's like, holy shit, that guy's good. Well, I'm not, no, oh, I was, I'm not mad. That wasn't me. Oh, yes, you were mad. You were the one who was saying he needs to be here. We're here busting our asses. And where's he? That wasn't me. That was not me. Oh, no, you have me confused with someone else. I love this guy. This guy's great. Now, they put more pressure on themselves to be great. But you know what? That's how they're wired. They want that. I think they welcome it. There's a certain confidence over and above the normal confidence. You have to have a certain amount of confidence to survive in the National Football League. 
confidence bordering on delusion. And I think Beckham and Bell have that. And they know that when they show up, their new teammates are going to see what they can do. And they're going to be like, holy shit, stay away anytime you want. Save some of that for week one. So I think they'll be fine, unless they end up stinking. At that devil is mine, in today's NFL climate, would Justin Blackman still be on an NFL roster after all of his off-field issues? He seems forgotten. Yeah, I feel like he got to the point where he just gave up on complying with whatever the NFL had imposed upon him by way of a treatment plan. Now, he had some DUI issues, so it wasn't just marijuana. But I feel like the NFL in recent months slash years has become far more cooperative with players who find themselves in the throes of the substance abuse policy. They want to give these guys opportunities to play. They're not looking for reasons to push them out of the sport because ultimately you're hurting yourself. I think the NFL did a lot of soul searching the year that the ratings dropped in a way that stunned everyone. 2016, it wasn't a shock that the ratings were down because everybody was caught up in politics. For the first time in a long time, politics was a big part of the American existence. 2017, it got even worse. That was the year with the anthem controversies. That was the year they had to deal with the president giving them a hard time. That was the year where hardcore NFL fans said, enough. That scared the NFL. And I think one of the things the NFL realized is, we've got great young, talented players here. We are not going to be overly aggressive in our efforts to keep these great young talented players off the field. At Mike Likes Dirt, out in front of the O'Reilly Auto Parts, do you get any credit for ad conversions? Oh, 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 O'Reilly. I don't know about that, but I'm sure the folks at O'Reilly, if they are paying attention, they appreciate that very much. Dean Osborne, 42, as brilliant as he is, why can't Bill Belichick draft decent receivers? That's been the Achilles heel when it comes to drafting. We talked about that earlier today. Deion Branch, second-round pick in 2002, worked out pretty well. Went on to be a Super Bowl MVP. But it was Bethel Johnson, second-round pick in 2003. Chad Jackson, second-round pick in 2006. Brandon Tate, third-round pick in 2009. Taylor Price, third-round pick in 2010. Aaron Dobson, second-round pick in 2013. Has not been great for Belichick when it comes to scouting receivers. And it's intriguing because Nikhil Harry, the guy that was taken with pick number 32, the Arizona State receiver, the quote from Todd Graham, the former ASU coach, to Jeff Howe of The Athletic, that Belichick contacted Graham and said, hey, we were thrilled this guy was there. We had him rated a lot higher. Now, maybe they did, but did they get it right? Did they get it wrong? And can they help that guy make the adjustment to being successful at the next level? And it may be that, you know, the higher a receiver is drafted, the more pressure is placed on that receiver and the easier it is for that receiver to feel like he's failed. Maybe it's better to be a mid to low round receiver. I don't know. You would think that more of these receivers would have worked out because Tom Brady's the quarterback. Look at the Steelers. One of the reasons why I think the Steelers have been so good at drafting receivers between rounds three and six, Ben Roethlisberger's the quarterback. If that's the case, you would think it would apply to the Patriots as well.
Tyler Forn, it's time to acknowledge this, Mike. At CC Scouting is following you. If you follow us back, we will stay out of your backyard. Stay out of my backyard. That's all I'm going to say. Stay out of my backyard. And don't block me if I say something you don't like. Mike likes dirt. What's more, what's more embarrassing? What's a more, what's a more embarrassing? What's more embarrassing to the Packers? Aaron Rodgers' beer chugging fail or Matt Lafleur's Achilles tear? I don't think that the Achilles tear is embarrassing. That can happen. Look, if you live an active lifestyle, and when I was younger, I was extremely active. Played a lot of basketball. I ran a lot. I can't run at all now because I ran so much then. All those miles, pounding the pavement, literally. Marathons run in 1998. Before that, I would I would run I would go five miles and I would run way too hard. I ran a 10k once in 38 minutes and 40 seconds. That was Fourth of July, 1986. I had diarrhea the rest of the day. I knew that I had gone out and run hard when my entire internal sewage system decided to you know hit the dump button. My buddies and I that year, 4th of July, we drove up to Pittsburgh to hang out out there at the point. There'd be people everywhere. It was a great atmosphere, great fireworks. I was walking around with a bottle of Pepto-Bismol in a brown paper bag. People were like, hey, what are you, what are you, what are you drinking? Oh, that's Pepto-Bismol. Sure it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Pepto-Bismol. Yeah, that's Pepto-Bismol. You want some? It was bad. Oh, it was bad. But anyway, uh, too many years of running too hard, putting in too many miles. So um, what the hell's the question? Oh. If you live an active lifestyle, there's a chance you're going to have an injury like that. There's a chance you're going to tear your ACL, pop your Achilles. I was always worried I was going to do that playing basketball. More so the ACL. As you get older, you got to worry about the Achilles tear. But now, for, for Matt LaFleur, he's going to be on that little scooter where you're on one knee and you're moving that damn scooter around. you got to wheel that scooter into the locker room. I don't know how long he's going to have to use it, but my God, it's going to be hard to, to properly take over the room the first day of training camp when you're on that scooter. I think it's more embarrassing that Aaron Rodgers can't chug a beer. And he's got to be mad at David Bakhtiari. Because when Bakhtiari took two of them quickly and then pointed over to Aaron Rodgers, Bakhtiari knows the guy can't chug beer. At some point during the years they've been together, it's come up that Bakhtiari can pour a beer straight down his gullet, and Aaron Rodgers can't. And you can, I just love watching that video because... You can tell by the look on his face, he knows this isn't going to go well. And then while he's drinking, he does the, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, and he never finishes it. At some point, you just pour it all over yourself. So, so you can empty, do whatever you have to do to empty the cup. Who cares if you get beer all over your shirt? The cup was empty. Still waiting for Aaron Rodgers to do the crack challenge, crack challenge, crack cancer challenge, crack challenge. The crack challenge is a very different very different exercise that we do not recommend. The crack cancer challenge is the one we're waiting for Aaron Rodgers to do. I'm told that Chris Sims is doing his today. I'll believe it when I see it. But two things that I have working in my favor, his kids, his son and his daughter, because they apparently are wearing him out to do this. Rex Chapman has indicated after he was reinstated on Twitter that he's going to do it. So I'll take two out of three. And it would be great if Aaron Rodgers did it. I would praise him to know. And I already praise him as a great quarterback. I just, you know, I'm one of the ones who point out that he's kind of sensitive. And he's sensitive about being known as sensitive. And he's a little passive-aggressive at times. And he's a very smart guy, but he's not as smart as he thinks he is because people can see through those things he says. And that's the reason why he doesn't like me, and that's fine. But I still think he's one of the great quarterbacks of all time. And I would have 
a higher level of respect for him. See, I'm trying positive reinforcement now to try to get him to do it. I had been going with negative reinforcement, reverse psychology. Now I'm going to be very positive. Aaron, if you do it, I will praise you to no end. I will talk about what a great guy you are. I won't say this guy had no choice but to do it. And he ultimately decided it's better to take a couple eggs to the head and not allow me to have that one thing I could hold over him forever. Because if he doesn't do it, I will. I'll always mention that he didn't do the crack cancer challenge or the crack challenge, as the case may be. Let's see what else is here. J. Randall 15. I was blocked by Ben Roethlisberger for liking a tweet you sent. Isn't that worse than Derek Carr? No, Ben Roethlisberger blocks everybody. And it's apparently not Ben Roethlisberger, but it's still his Twitter account. But Big Ben 7, and there's an underscore in there somewhere, he blocks everybody. He blocks people who have never interacted with him. We had that on Twitter. Like, hey, hey, uh, you know, retweet this if you've been blocked by Ben Roethlisberger. People don't even know they've been blocked by him. They put they put in his his handle and like, holy crap, I was blocked by Ben Roethlisberger. My son was blocked by Ben Roethlisberger. He's like, why would he block me? I've never even mentioned his name. I I just I don't I don't know that there's some global block button on Twitter where you just have to unblock the people that you want to have access to your information. So don't blame me, John Randall or John Randall, Josh Randall, fifteen. Have you stopped doing PFTOT? We do it every day. Why would you think we didn't do it? Don't tell me it's not showing up in the... Is it not showing up in the PFTPM podcast feed? Let me see. Let me see. Let me multitask. Let me check here. Here's the PFTPM podcast feed. And I see PFTOT. Oh, there hasn't been one in a while. They haven't done it since May 23. Huh. We need to make sure that PFTOT gets uh, gets pushed through to PFTPM. I, I can see why you're, you're, making that, uh, you're making that point. All right. We'll take care of it. What else do we have here? Burn unit. When you or Chris have a blunder while speaking, such as using incorrect names or saying NHL instead of NFL, NFL, are you aware in the moment but move on anyway, or do you not notice? I mean, sometimes I don't notice. Like yesterday when I said, see y'all Thursday, everybody have a great Wednesday. And then after the fact, that said, uh, it's Thursday. Like, I didn't know. But I think the best way to deal with an inevitable mistake, and think about it, you got three hours per day that you're talking extemporaneously. We're not using a teleprompter. We're not reading off of scripts. There are so many people in this business, and I'm not going to name names. They can't function without a teleprompter. They cannot even begin to put sentences together without having those sentences displayed in front of them so they can essentially read them. They're reading. Three hours of extemporaneous speech with very, very limited cues. We have an outline that we look at. And sometimes stats will tell me what's next. When we do what you need to know at the 7.02 a.m. Eastern block on on PFT Live, we go from topic to topic. And as we're wrapping up one topic, he'll say, what's next? And we go into the next one. I have it in front of me anyway, but it's a nice little reminder because sometimes you forget because you don't have a script in front of you. You don't have a teleprompter in front of you. So you're going to make mistakes. When you make mistakes, you own it and you move on. Sometimes you misspeak. You keep going. That's the best way to handle it. Sometimes it's funny enough that 
I'll mention it to Sims or he'll mention it to me. We talked about this the other day when Pat Shermer, the Giants coach, when discussing the personalities of Daniel Jones and Eli Manning, his top two quarterbacks, not necessarily in that order yet, said that they have very calm demeanors, but they're fiery under the covers. And as he was saying it, he kind of did that. He was like, and then he kept going. And there just was that that look on his face, that, that, that gleam in his eye that he knew what he had said. And that was his opportunity to have a human moment. And I'd have seized it if I was him. I don't know what he would have said. But, you know, th- th- because there's there's a way you can respond to that, that that ends up being regarded as offensive. But just to make... It's like, oh, I... Whoa, I... Huh. Hmm. Oh, wait a minute. I meant fire under the surface. So, you know, I don't know what you could do, but he had a chance to do it. And I think it it always helps to come off as a human being and not a robot. Too many people are robotic in this business as well. There are too many people who can't even begin to survive without a teleprompter. And there are too many who aspire to be robotic. They aspire to be perfect. You know what? Sometimes being as good as you can be requires you to take some chances that may cause you to misspeak. Sometimes for effect, I'll speed up. And when you speed up, sometimes you're going to stumble over what you say. But I remember when I would practice law and there was that very small handful of lawyers who could get up and deliver an opening statement or a closing argument with no notes. And that was always what I aspired to be able to do. How can you get up and have something to say for 45 minutes to an hour and not have a single note in front of you? How can you memorize all that? And it's not memorized. It's just having the self-confidence in yourself, as Chris Sims would say, to know the material, to know how to deliver it, and to trust that you will write your script in the moment. Kind of like what I'm doing now. You're the writer, director, producer, and the star of the show. And it's all improv with the understanding that you have a general idea of what you're going to do. Now, this is closer to improv because I'm just answering whatever question comes up. But I know that that's what I'm doing. That's what's guiding me through this. And it's a product of years and years and years of extemporaneous speaking. So back to the question. Sometimes we're not aware of it. When we are aware of it, we either just keep going Or if there's a way to be self-deprecating and have a laugh, then we do that. Dean Osborne, 42. How much money would it take for you to take a vacation with Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, Antonio Brown, and Adam Schefter? I don't... Look, look, I, I, I don't know. As long as they all didn't gang up on me. I, here's the thing. And, and, and I, I don't troll per se i have honestly held opinions and i don't specifically target someone for criticism because it's good for business like colin coward with baker mayfield and we'll get baker mayfield to come on my show and we'll have it we'll have a big rating day that day and we'll keep needling baker mayfield and this will go back and forth and he'll sell t-shirts and and i'll get more people listening to my podcast and watching the show and watching uh you're listening on the radio i'll yeah i don't care about that i have my opinions and i think that it's fair to express your opinions and if the people who are the subject of the opinions don't like that that's their problem 
I would like to think that these people have far bigger things to worry about than what some dweeb in West Virginia thinks about their performance or their work product or whatever. And also, when you're making big money, somewhere from seven to eight figures per year, you have to accept a certain amount of criticism. And one thing I've learned over the years, and I've said this before, if you listen to the criticism, if you can thicken your skin enough to hear the criticism, you actually may learn something from it, and you actually may end up better at what you do and somewhat insulated from hearing the same criticism over and over again. Because buried in that criticism may be some guidance on how to better do your job, whatever your job may be. Burn unit. John Gruden last year said players were calling him wanting to play for the Raiders. Was he referring to Antonio Brown, who was under contract and ended up being traded to the Raiders? No, he was lying about that. I can't remember who said that at the time. I don't know if Sims said that, but somebody said that and I believed it, that he was just lying. He was just, he was just making it all up to create the impression that the Raiders were a desirable team to play for. At Dustin Lowmiller, I'm pretty sure that Derek Carr blocked your boy Greg Rosenthal's podcast too. David Carr is a co-worker, so they had him on their pod to broker a piece. It's still kind of a running bit. Can you have Sims do a top 40 quarterback sensitivity ranking next? Yeah, I didn't know about that, but it helps when David Carr is a co-worker, and David Carr's blocked us on Twitter too. All three of the Carr brothers, if there are only three, there may be more. But Darren, Derek, and David have all blocked us on Twitter. That's fine, I can take it. And I don't know why David Carr blocked me, unless it was the reaction to that ridiculous statement he made that Joe Montana is not a top 10 Super Bowl era quarterback. I mean, that that is the kind of thing where, and I understand you want to have good content and you want to create buzz, but sometimes you can cross a line. And I think when you cross that line, it calls into question your qualifications to have the job. I mean, that should have been one of those days where whoever runs NFL Network now goes into David Carr and says, you know, thanks for the last few years, but we're going to move on. You know, you got this job because, in large part, your brother Derek ended up being a decent quarterback, and he's not as good as we thought he was going to be, so we really don't need you anymore. And if you're going to be saying ridiculous shit like that, we just don't need you here. We'll find somebody else. There is a boundary of of reasonable argument you can make, and you can't make a reasonable argument that Joe Montana is not a top-10 Super Bowl-era quarterback. You just can't. You can't do it with a straight face. Next up... At CCS, the real Forno, if George Constanza played football, what position would he be? Yeah, he'd never get on the field. He'd, he'd never get on the field. He'd be the backup right guard, and he would never get on the field. Another one from Tyler Fornis, how will Matt Flores' Achilles tear affect his ability to do his job? Will it impact how players view him as a coach? I mean, he's going to be wheeling around on that goofy little scooter. Now, the best thing he can do is embrace it and own it and have fun with it because it humanizes him to the locker room. It will disarm the players. And the Achilles tear can happen to any of them at any time. At Black 88 Elite, who is the owner of the Jets? I thought Woody Johnson was still the owner, but because he's the ambassador to the UK, he only gave it up for four years. Will he be coming back to run the Jets? Yes. At some point, yes. He owns the Jets. Christopher, his brother, is the CEO and chairman but at some point, Woody's coming back. And based upon the amount of dysfunction the Jets have been enduring, Jets fans who were happy to see Woody go may be counting the days until Woody returns. 
Faisal Morali with the Seahawks suing Malik McDowell. Why don't more teams do that to get bonus money back? Well, there's there's only a limited situation where you can get bonus money back. And I don't want to go too deep into the weeds here, but the signing bonus, it's not free money. It's not a lottery prize. It's advance compensation for future services to be rendered. And I'll keep it very simple for mathematic purposes. A $4 million bonus on a four-year contract. You earn that money $1 million per year. So if after one year you retire, then you, you owe that money back. The $3 million back that you haven't earned. For Malik McDowell, it gets more complicated. He had a non-football injury. He had that, that ATV accident non-football injury, doing something he shouldn't have been doing, engaging in dangerous activities. I'm sure there was language in his signing bonus, that his documentation, that prohibits that kind of stuff. There's definitely language in the contract that prohibits it. And you, by your own decisions, by your own actions, you have rendered yourself unable to earn that money, so you've got to pay it back. Even though he didn't deliberately retire... He did something that made him de facto retired, and he never earned that money, and he had to pay it back. It's a hardcore stance when a team takes that position, but he shouldn't have been on that ATV. Remember, there was a some a three-wheel motorcycle that came out, and Drew Brees did like a bit for it. Like, I can't, I can't uh, ride this while I'm playing, but when I retire, I'm going to buy one or whatever it is. I mean, there are real restrictions on what you can and can't do because of the investment that has been made in you by your team. And the money that's been given to you with the understanding that you will earn it back. You will earn that money that you get in your signing bonus. And there are certain things that you will do that will disqualify you from keeping that money. And for Malik McDowell, I don't know if he's going to have a real defense here. I'm just assuming they've said to him, you owe this money and he hasn't paid it back. And they've decided to take a fairly extreme action here. But they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't believe they were in the right and I guess there's a chance, based upon the contracts involved, that they're not. I'm going to have to look into that and see exactly what's going on here. Now that I think about it more, maybe there is an argument to be made by McDowell that, that uh, you know, I don't know. Did he get injured before he signed? I think he signed and then he got injured. But I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to do some more work on this one. But um, it is a device that's available. It just doesn't get used very often because there aren't a lot of players that fall into that category of guys who have done something that requires them to pay the money back. At Tyler Tice 92, if the NFL were to expand the regular season, how would the players' salaries be impacted with their current contracts? Would they be paid less per week? If so, how would the NFL justify asking for more labor for the same pay until contracts caught up with the new structure? I think that there would be a global understanding as to how the current contracts would adjust in light of the expanded salary. There would be an additional percentage that would be added to all players' salaries going beyond that that's how it would be done whether it would be as simple as two extra game checks at their current rate or or whatever 20 percent more whatever to get them to do it but it would apply to all players now the problem is for some players it would push their their salary so high that they would be subject to being cut but but it would be part of the global negotiation Tyler Fornes, when it comes to recruiting, how does the NFL differ from the NCAA? Well, the NFL doesn't have to recruit. They draft. That's how it differs. 
And it's a different kind of recruiting when you're talking about free agents. But there's no recruiting at the entry level like there is at college because you just you just draft. The recruiting is which guys are we going to draft when we're on the clock. Dirtbag1327 still watching the Kellen Winslow trial proceedings. I, I fell off of that one. I, 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 you know, it's easier to just read Dan Wetzel's red, uh, recaps. It's just, it's, Court TV doesn't have its own spot on Direct TV, and so I've got it open on my browser, so if there's something else that comes in that I want to listen to, then I have to pause that, and then they take a break, and it's the same commercial over and over again, and I just got away from it. I'll, I'll make sure I watch the closing arguments, and I'll watch if Kellen Winslow testifies. That's the big question hovering over this thing now. He's got five alleged victims who have testified. Will he testify? Will he take the stand? Very rarely does a criminal defendant take the stand because you're going to get torn apart by the prosecutor. It's virtually impossible to put yourself in that spot and not get destroyed by an aggressive cross-examination. And the problem is this. Let's say he's guilty of some of the stuff, but not all of it. If he denies all of it, and they can make it look abundantly clear that he's lying about some of it, the jury's going to be inclined to believe that he's lying about all of it. When it's entirely possible that, let's say, because I just get the impression this guy was just like driving around having sex with anyone who would have sex with him, and the argument is some people didn't want to have sex with him, and he tried to force them to have sex. There's a chance that of the three rape victims, alleged rape victims, one or more did consent. But if he's issuing a blanket denial of any wrongdoing and they can prove conclusively enough to get a jury to say that guy's lying when he's cross-examined under some of these charges, because they're not all rape charges. There's like indecent exposure and that kind of thing. If you prove he's lying on some of it, it's very easy for the jury to conclude he's lying as to all of it. Stephen Wise, 89, WVU is hosting a baseball regional tournament this weekend. Regionals are the first round of the playoffs for the College World Series tournament. Will you watch? No. No. I helped my brother-in-law and my nephew get tickets. They are huge baseball people. I just, I can't get interested in baseball, so no. If they get to the College World Series, I guess I'll get on the bandwagon then. Frank Chavowee, no good questions for me today. Keep up the good work and start getting on Chris Sims. Ask about that steak. Pay your bets, Chris. I want the eggs first. I want the eggs first, then we'll get the steaks. Terrell 1082, name one historically great GM and one historically bad one. Oh, there's so many to choose from. Think of a bad GM. Who was a really, really bad GM? I mean, it would be somebody... Oh, Matt Millen. Bad GM. Extremely bad, historically bad GM. Great GM? I don't know. Whoever built those Steelers teams... I mean, Chuck Knoll had a lot of authority over personnel. Dan Rooney was running the franchise. You didn't hear much about the general manager of that team, though. There have been a lot of great general managers. I mean, every great dynasty. The team was put together by someone. So I'd have to sit down and look at it and think about it. Because my, my concern is once I start naming names, I'm going to start leaving some names out. And I remember back in the 70s and the 80s, you know, we weren't nearly as aware of the general managers as we are now, were we? People didn't care about that stuff. They do now. Oh, they definitely do now. Nine is forever 16. Since you loved Wise Guy, you should read Donnie Brasco and The Godfather. Excellent reads. I was 
answering the other day the, the mob movies that I really liked. I forgot to mention The Departed. That was an excellent movie. But Donnie Brasco was a disappointing movie. Maybe the book would be better. Wise Guy, one of the best books ever read. I flew through it. The Godfather, I think I read it years ago. I have the paperback edition on the shelf. I, I had a friend once who was involved in politics, and The Godfather was like his his Bible, for lack of a better term, for how the political world works. And he highlighted The Godfather. Because it's all premised on trading favors. And that's what The Godfather was. I do something for you, you do something for me. I do something for you now, you owe me something later. And you basically, you build your your power base by this string of favors that you do for others who then in turn owe you. And if you play those just right, if you call in the right favor at the right time, you end up becoming more and more and more prominent in that field. And I guess that would apply to any industry that you're in that isn't premised on, you know, flat out objective talent. I mean, at some point you have to have the basic talent, but the way to work the system to your advantage, I do you a favor, you do me a favor. I'll do you a favor. Oh, you need a favor now? That's fine. But you know what? At some point I'm going to, you know, you're going to owe me a favor. And then you sometimes get indebted to somebody, but the understanding is, hey, this guy delivers. So yeah, I'll do what you need now. And at some point I'm going to call on you for a favor. All right, last one. Perhaps I am imagining things, but I noticed that Stats has not interjected his comments as often. Has he been purposely squelched? Oh, I'd love to squelch him. Or is it just that he has less to say these days? I only ask because I miss you giving him a hard time when he says something stupid. Stats' role has changed in recent months. You know, part of the the adjustment to our time slot where we went from being on NBCSN from 7 to 9 to being on from 7 to 11 the two hours that we do from 7 to 9 now get re-aired from 9 to 11. Stats is in the control room, and Stats is more actively involved. Kristen Coleman, who directs the show, has a lot of stuff she's got to do. She's not in position to give us the guidance from a substantive standpoint while we're on the air. Stats does that. So we've got Kristen talking to us through that. They call it the IFB, the little earplug, and sometimes you can see the cord. You know, if you watch, and I notice this a lot because we always are wearing the IFB. Sometimes there'll be somebody with an IFB and it's popped out of their ear, or, you know, it's just like clearly obvious or it's way too big for their ear or whatever the case may be. But they talk to you through that IFB, and Kristen will give us the countdown. She'll tell us how long until... We're back from break. She'll count us into break. She'll count us out. when we And we have a bunch of times where we have to be out at a certain point. There's not many floating breaks in that two-hour show. We've got to hit... I've, I counted this up at one point. Let me just do it now just for fun. There are uh, different times that, that we have to shut up at or by a certain point. At the top of the show, 7 o'clock, we do the two minutes. We have to hit the mark just right for the transition from TV to TV and radio. That's one. That break after the first segment, it's not a hard break. Then we come back for that pod segment that we call, where we do an, a minute and 45 seconds. We got to hit that right on the way out. Then the next segment for TV, it's got a hard radio out. We have to hit that. Then there's a three-minute pod where we talk on TV. We got to hit that break. Then the next TV segment, radio segment, there's no hard when we have to shut up by, I mean, there's a certain point where we have to shut up or we screw up the clock, but there isn't a, you must stop at this moment. Then there's a 
two minute and 15 second pod. That's five. And then the last segment on radio and TV of the hour, we have to hit that. That's six in one hour. We have 12 different times in two hours where we must shut up at a specific moment. And Kristen is very good at counting us exactly to that second. And it's very complicated because I'm in West Virginia. Chris is in the studio in Connecticut. Kristen's in the control room and it's all piping through a facility in New Jersey that is responsible for the commercials and everything. And it's all, and, and on top of it all, it goes through Culver city, California for the radio side. And she's the one who's directing all that traffic. And she's like the only person in the world who knows how to make all that work. So she could leverage this for a hell of a lot more money than she's making. So don't tell her. So, so stats is there during those substantive segments to tell us what's next and, uh, to, to you know, throw out some ideas to us and you know he'll he'll maybe mention something to get me to challenge Chris or he'll say something to Chris to get Chris to challenge me and you've got different buttons and you can talk you know you can talk to all of us they call it the all call you can talk to everybody or you can talk to one you can talk to the other and that that's what they do from the control room so that's what stats now does he's in the control room he used to sit in the radio studio and they had a camera in there and and he would pop up but once Chris was involved as a co-host we didn't need to do that anymore and once we went to that TV spot that goes seven all the way to 11, we decided we needed to ratchet things up a bit. So there's the answer to your question. It took me a while to get there. Fortunately, I didn't have a hard break. That's why I like doing this. After doing the full three hour radio and TV show where I've got in all 14 different times where I have to shut up at a certain moment, it is liberating to not have to shut up. And I think today, I didn't think I was gonna go an hour. I went over an hour today. So thank you for your indulgence as always. We will be back on Monday with another edition of the PFTPM podcast. I got to do a little traveling next week. We will be on PFT Live all five days. I'm going to jam the PFTPM podcast into the early part of the week, uh, Monday, Tuesday for sure. Beyond that, we'll see how it goes. But uh, thanks as always for your support of everything we do. We do not take weekends off. We do not take days off. Hashtag no days off. You will see plenty of content Saturday and Sunday and every day up until training camp opens, even during the quote unquote slow time. It never gets all that slow. And we will do everything we can to keep you up to date on everything that's happening in the National Football League. Thanks again. Have a great weekend. We'll talk Monday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.